It is so amazing when you think about how quickly a year goes around again, and we're right here, two days away from 2020. And uh, you think about even the phrase 2020, and you linger in that a moment, you realize it's really kind of a catchy phrase, 2020, 2020. And you might say, well, what does it mean to us? What really does it mean? And and one of the things I think about is that 2020 is obviously going to be a year of change. Somewhere God, God comes in every one of our lives and he says, I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to ask you to reach to places that you did not go before. I'm going to call you to follow me. Is it possible that 2020 would be the year that Jesus would come for his church, the bride of Christ? Yes. Yes, yes. You know, one of the beautiful things of the Word of God is you see the the heartbeat of even the Apostle Paul as he would write about Jesus and his the rapture of the church, and he'd say, We which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord will not prevent those that are asleep. The Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead are going to rise, and we're going to be caught up with the Lord to meet him in the air and forever be with God. Jesus is coming, we know that. And yet there's another part of 2020 we just don't know, do we? I thank God that we don't know. There's a a sense that if we knew, we would not walk by faith. We would walk by sight. And so because we don't know, God calls us to a place of trusting him and delighting in him and letting him lead the way and show us what he wants to show us. Who really knows? He knows. We don't know. That's one of the amazing teachings about the return of Jesus is we just don't know, but he knows. It's like this secret he keeps. Jesus himself said, I don't even know when he was here, but he he knows. Many, many people have wanted to know. Did you know that even Christopher Columbus, the one who discovered America in 1492, prophesied and predicted that Jesus would come in the year of 1656? And he didn't come. Jesus just kept waiting. And you know, there was a French scientist who came on the scene in the early 1800s named Pierre Burchelt, who wrote and he said he truly believed he was an atomic scientist. He goes, it is my strong belief that by the year of 1860, man will know exactly what the atom is and God will come down with his big ring of keys and say, gentlemen, it's closing time. 1860, 1960, 2020, and he hasn't returned. We know something about this, though. Some of you here will remember in 1988, the book that came out just in the last year previous, and the book came, and it was a hot-selling book. And what it was was 88 reasons why Jesus will come in 1988. And people got ready. Matter of fact, I remember reading about a group that came down here to one of the mountains and began to get ready because in 1988, there's 88 reasons that Jesus is going to come. And then there was a year 2000. 
there's going to be this technological glyph that was almost indescribable, that was going to be a blip in the cons- of all of our computers. And when it's done, we're just going to have a big mess. And so get all the foods you can, hoard up, because there's going to be something major that happens. And Jesus hasn't came. But I just want to do something this morning, probably because one of you sisters spoke to me and opened your heart last week one time, and you said, you know, I just love to hear about Jesus' coming as a babe, but she says, sometimes my heart longs to hear about his second coming. I just, I would love to hear about his second coming after he came as a babe. And it was just like, I had been thinking a little bit about that, and I, what I'm going to do is share a place in God's word with you that God has spoken to me many times in seasons like this, but also in other seasons too, and it's like a reset. I just want you to step back and look, at, look with me, he said, at 2 Peter chapter 3. And this is where we're going to go this morning, is to this beautiful declaration by Peter of Jesus' return and the things that surround his return. And what is so beautiful about this chapter is it, this chapter gives the outlook that was going on in the time that Peter was writing this, which is amazing because even though 2,000 years have went, how similar things are in certain ways. And then this chapter goes on and gives an uplook of who God is and what God is doing. And this chapter goes on and challenges us to an inlook inside our hearts as we prepare for Christ's return. Read with me the first several verses here of 2 Peter chapter 3. Here we see the outlook that Peter is giving. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you would remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles, knowing this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and by the water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And here the Lord begins to speak, and we, we, we are looking at his return. 
And he's beginning to speak about that which Peter is writing about. Now, in the first part of this epistle, this chapter, we see something that is really important that we grasp, and that is that Peter is, is writing about the outlook that Christians should have and what we see on the horizon around us. Now, when we look at 2020, let's look at a couple things. When the outlook is Godward, the outward outlook looks good. But it doesn't mean that everything looks good. And as we look at this with Peter, Peter begins to share a burden in the first chapter verse when he says, this is now, beloved, the second time I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I don't know if you pick up what, what Peter's burden is here, but he's saying, I'm writing this because I want your hearts to be stirred up. I've got to remind you of some things because it's so easy for apathy to set in in a Christian's life. It is so easy to, for a lackadaisical spirit to develop, a complacency that just creeps into the human heart and the passion for God's return is no longer there in the same way. And as Peter's writing, he says, I'm writing this because I want to stir you up in your sincere mind, I love that. He says, I see your mind is sincere, but I've got to give you a reminder because there is a sense through which you lose the passion and the stirring of Jesus. Now, he does not say yet what he's writing about, but in the next verse, as we look at this together, we, we notice in the, in, the third, in the second verse that you would remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior spoken to your apostles. And Peter here is saying, what I'm going to give you, you've been hearing and reading for a long time. You're hearing about Jesus' coming. You're hearing about his return. And I want to give this to you so you get this and you understand it. And then he locks into this third verse knowing this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Peter is saying something that's so important that the church understand as he's speaking about this coming. Notice it says, what are the mockers saying? They're saying, where is the promise of his coming? And as we look at this together today, we're going to see a promise that God gives of his coming. I'm coming. He shouts it from the Bible. But with this promise comes opposition. And this is why Peter identifies this and says, there's going to come mockers in the last days. And they're going to ask questions. And they're going to question the truth of God's word that Jesus is coming again. Have you ever encountered a mocker? Have you ever encountered someone that says, I just don't get this truth this teaching of the return of Jesus and that Jesus literally is coming back to earth. Now, this is what the word says. It says, there will come these mockers and they will ask these questions 
And here we see something that has, is just so as true as can be. In lieu of this truth, there's always been doubters, questioners, people who wonder, they, they ask questions, they doubt, and here Peter begins to identify these scoffers, and they still remain today. However, there's a truth that we're going to see in the Bible as we look at several passages quickly, and that is the truth that God says, I'm coming again. It is an indelible truth of the word of God that the Lord says, I am coming again. I haven't forgot you, I haven't forsaken you, and I'm coming. On the screen, you're going to see several verses rather quickly. The first is Hebrews 10 and 37. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Mark 13, 35 through 37. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. John 14, 1 through 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Acts 1 and 11, Jesus, as he was translated up into heaven, the angels gave this message. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. And I have another verse, Matthew 24, 44. For this reason, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Now you notice that you begin to see something right here. You begin to see the possibility right here of where mockers come in and say, God's not coming back. But the word, we have given you just a few passages that so clearly teach this truth of the word of God. And yet they're all through the word of God. And Peter here is beginning to write this. And he's saying, but I want you to get this first. There's going to be opposition to the truth. There's a battle for the message of Jesus that he's coming again. I, I've wondered at times during the course of, my, of our Christian life if all of a sudden we just haven't got quiet about that. When I was a young guy, I had two grandfathers that were pastors, and on these gatherings like Christmas and Thanksgiving, sometimes on a Sunday afternoon, I would hear them talking so fervently about this that it was like, I wonder if, 
if we're going to even make it through the year. But it was the passion of their heart. And as Peter is writing here, he is writing about these mockers. They're going to resist it. But the message is just as true, that Jesus Christ is coming again. Different times people would ask us, what's the, the very the best food you ever had in China? And in the trips we've taken, one of the things that's interesting, a lot of Americans, we think, well, you go down here to Panda Express, and that's probably what China has. Well, you know what they have? They have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dishes that are amazing. They, they have some amazing dishes in China. But the one dish I'll never forget, and Debbie and I both comment about this a lot, is there was a, there was a bowl, big, we were in the city of Lanzhou, China. It's out in the, in, the, in the southern part of China. It was up about 11 or 12,000 feet. It was very cold, and we were very hungry. And someone says, if you want the best soup you, you've ever tasted, just go down the street there, and there's a woman out there with this big kettle with her little daughter, and you go and get a, cup of, a, a scoop of that soup, and it'll be the, the best soup you've ever tasted. And it was cold out. It might have been 10 or 15 degrees. And that woman was serving this soup on tables in an open-air restaurant. And she gave us that soup. And as she gave us that soup, we began to, we began to eat it, and it was just phenomenal. And I'll tell you, uh, Debbie makes, makes great soup. My wife makes great soup. But that soup was just absolutely fantastic. But there's something I noticed with that woman as we were there. That woman stood there and waited for the next customer, and she just kept stirring the soup. She just kept stirring it, and then she stirred and she served for the half hour we were there. And as she stirred and she served, it just hit me. And as I was studying this, if she would have stopped stirring, she wouldn't have anything to serve. Because stagnation of the, the, the soup would no longer be flavorable and mixed like it would be because it was just continuing to be stirred. And some of us here have in the year of 2019 have experienced the stirring of God in a way that we did not recognize the blessing of it initially. And as that stirring has came in this year, I just want you to think about that possibility that God may have allowed that stirring to bring back within our heart a passion that was fleeing us. You know, in Washington State, where we've farmed apples and even pears, one of the best ways to manage the water is to manage them with ponds. And what you'll do is you'll, you'll dig ponds that are like a million gallons in size, and the water from the irrigation will go in the ponds. You'll have large pumps, and those pumps will be able to put the water out in the orchards very quickly, rapidly, and yet it, stir, it, it, it stores up the water. But there's an inflow into the pond, and there's a pump outflow on the other side. But if that pond stops flowing, there's going to be algae that will creep into that pond, and it'll plug the pump. And when the time comes, you're ready to discharge the pump to go out to irrigate the fruit. There will be that the filter immediately will plug plug up, and it's because there was no flow that kept coming into the pond and going out. Now, what the enemy wants to do in every life here is stop the flow. He doesn't care how he does it. 
He will do it a hundred ways. But when Peter is writing, he's saying, I want you to allow the stirring of the Holy Spirit to remain hot in your life because there's something to serve today. And it's better than that soup. We've got the Holy Spirit in us. We've got the word of God. We've got the gift of salvation. And Peter, as he's writing here, he's speaking about this great privilege of serving the very best. But for the very best to be served, it's got to be stirred. There's got to be something that just breaks up the norm within the Christian heart. Or we will become apathetic. We will move into a lackadaisical place and we'll slide backwards and not even know it. And it happens so easily. It is, such, it is a part of so many ways in which we, we deal with uh, walking by faith in Jesus Christ. Now we're going to go on in this chapter and I want us to grab three truths that we never ever want to forget when we look at the Lord's return and the call to be stirred in our heart as God's children. You look at these three truths with me, beginning in verse 8, and it seems like Peter, as he's concluding this writing, he's saying, I'm going to give you several takeaways so you as a church are ready for Jesus. Your heart is on fire for him. There's a warmth that is there. You have something to stir. And the first one you see in verse 8 is, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. God's time frame is different than ours. That's what Peter is saying. God works in eternity. We live in time. Many times, Christians, and I have loved it, even the Apostle Paul would say, we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not prevent those which are asleep. Moses wrote it like this in Psalm 90. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. And you look at that, and Moses is just simply saying, God, your perspective and my perspective is so much different. And there is this little flesh temptation, and yet there needs to be a spiritual edge to it that we kind of put the, the return of the Lord in our lifetime. We want to think we're going to be the ones that are raptured. We're going to be caught up. And yes, the word of God, Paul believed that. And it is something that is so important that we remember, though, is God's time is different from ours. He's got a different clock. Our clock says 9.55. What does God's clock say? Wouldn't that be amazing if God says, I'll let you look at my clock right now, and I'll show you where it is? I would guess most of us would just be stunned. Because we know this, Jesus himself said, when you begin to see these things come to pass, you look up because your redemption draws nigh. When you see the indicators, when you see the little signs, get your eyes up because Jesus is coming again. The second truth we have here in the next verse, which is so important in the ninth verse, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
God keeps his promise. His time is different than ours. His promises are true and re- true and amen. But I want us to notice why God tarries, because this is so important. Sometimes we, and this touches every family here. It touches every person that's here. He is, let's read it again together. The Lord, the Lord is not slow about his promises as some count slowest, that slowness. That would probably be the mockers, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God doesn't want to lose one soul. That's what he's saying. God keeps his promise. He's coming again. The word of God says his time frame is different, but he's coming again. And the, and the last, last area we want to give you as a takeaway right here is God's word will come to pass as he says it will. When he says he's coming again, he's coming again. Notice this in the, in the 10th verse. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the, the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. The day of the Lord's gonna come. Now, when we look at the day of the Lord, it is an amazing study of the Bible because it often speaks of the... Uh, Often it speaks of the judgment of God. It's like man has their day, but God will have his day. In some ways you could say man has their day today. We can rebel against God and maybe have no judgment. We can live a life of sin and maybe not pay the, pay the price that we thought we would pay. We can get away with it today. But the word, of the, God, the word of the Lord says the day of the Lord will come when God the judge will come. Now, there's one of the dynamics of God that's so amazing in the Bible. God, and we've been looking at this in John, is a God of love. He's a God, just as we've read, of long-suffering. But there's also another part of God, and that is God is a God of justice. His love is just as strong as his justice. God will deal with sin. God will deal with the apathy of the heart of man and the rebellion and unbelief that exists in the heart of man. And here he says, God is, God's word will come to pass. Paul, writing to the Thessalonian brethren, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 3. But as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and destructive, think about they being the world, peace and safety. We've got the right man now. He is the man of sin, the Antichrist. Then sudden destruction will come upon them sudden. Destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. Now the next verse says, brothers, you aren't in darkness. That that, that day would, I'm not gonna go there, but that day would overtake you like a thief. You are children of the day. You don't have to go there. But he's saying, God will have his say. God is coming again. The truth of the word that we find is God's word is going to come to pass. Several years ago, we were in Cambodia, 
and had been teaching in the, in the country of Cambodia in a, in a city called Battambang. Battambang is really a large city. It's quite a ways. It's a six-hour drive from Phnom Phen or Sin Reap, the two larger cities. But when you got to Battambang, the way you get around in Battambang is they give you a little teeny motorcycle. It costs you about $5 a day. If you have a driver's license from America, you can drive it. The only problem in Cambodia is the roads aren't like they are in Phoenix, even though they look dangerous here. You come to places, there's no stoplights, no stop signs. And, we took, and it was time to take the motorcycle back into the city to turn it back in. We were going home, and I took the bike, and for just a dollar, you could get a taxi back to the Battambang Resort where we were staying. But someone said, here's a real faithful man. Just get in the back of his bike. He'll charge you 50 cents. And you just get on that bike and go back to your hotel. Got on the bike and took off with him. And I thought, you know, he's a good driver. He really is. And I'm glad I got a good driver. And then I looked, and I had been there for about a week, Deb and I, and I thought, I've never saw this road before. And I realized that I thought for maybe a couple of minutes, I thought, you know, maybe he's going a different direction back to the hotel and then I realized he was going the opposite direction of the hotel. And I tapped him, and the problem was he knew about zero words of American, and I knew about three words in Cambodian. And when you try to put that all together, you got a real problem. And so we got this map out, and he couldn't make sense of it, and I couldn't. So pretty soon, we just headed off again. And we came to this little village, and I tapped him again and said, let's stop. And all these people gather around the bike, and we lay out the map, and they look. And pretty soon, we think we have directions again. And we take off, and we're still not going toward the resort. I could just tell. We're going a different direction. And finally, by God's provision, we stopped in another village, and these little villagers gathered, and someone could speak English. And they finally looked at the map, and it made sense and we got focused the right way, and away we went back to Battambang Resort, where we were going to spend the night to go back home to the USA. And you know, I was thinking about this studying for this subject, how often it is that people are just enjoying the ride and going all kinds of directions, but they're not going the right direction because they don't have the right resource, and often they don't have the right driver. They're listening to the wrong voice. And it is so important when we look at this, and I believe this was the burden in the, in the heart of the Apostle Peter when he is writing this, is that we know where we're going, and we also have the right roadmap, and we're willing to follow the directions. And I think this is why Peter is stopping right here, and I give us to this, this to us as we go into 2020. Do we know where we're going? And are we following the right directions? And it is so important what is so beautiful about the word of God, and I share this to you, with you today, because just a lot of times in my life, it's got really messy, and I couldn't figure things out, and I would come back to a chapter like this, and it would just give me direction again. It would just say, wow, God, you've got it. But I give us this just as a biblical appeal that we could be writing on the, on, in with the best driver. But if we are not reading the directions in a time when the mockers are hitting the message, it turns into a huge mess. 
And pretty soon, it is so imperative, and I don't know what God lays in your heart. He's, he's been laying some things in my heart for 2020, but I just give this a simple appeal in this congregation today. If God is putting on your heart to begin to read your Bible daily, having devotions with God, meeting God face-to-face each day, letting him show you the direction, do it. The price might seem high. It might say, this is ridiculous, but the directions that God gives in his word will never get us lost. They'll never deceive us. We'll never go the other way. The challenge today is we're following all kinds of voices, but we're not following God's. We miss the the message of God so easily with all of the voices that are out there in the world. And Peter's identifying some of these voices when he speaks about these mockers who would come and go in these various ways. Now, we come to this point, and I am sure some of you say, I've heard messages like this, and God has spoken to me before, and I want to be ready for Jesus. And I want to give us five takeaways in five verses to be ready for Jesus if this is the year that Jesus comes. Last night, there were some visitors up here in the front, and I was so blessed. One sister just walked up, and what she spoke in truth was just amazing. But she looked at me, and she said, Pastor, did you ever think we may not make it to 2020? And I thought, wow, that is really, really good stuff. We may not make it to 2020. Jesus could come today. Jesus could come tomorrow. Jesus could come Tuesday. This is the, this is the teaching of the word of God. That, and you'll see this in the Bible. And as you go to the textbook, this book, you see this reference. You'll see that the word of God is teaching that we are on the door of Jesus' return. Wherever that clock is that God has, we are at the very end of the last days. We are in the last of the last days. We are in the latter time. And what Peter is saying is, oh, church, I want that to be stirring in your heart. Don't let Satan's firemen put out the fire within your heart that is so important to burn for us to begin to continue to see Jesus in the middle of the last days we're in. Verse 11 First takeaway, these are going to be very quick as we wrap up the message today. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Number one, choose holiness. Choose righteousness over unrighteousness. Choose holiness over defilement. I read of a a man who worked on the job for years in a very, very dirty environment, and there it was. He wore coveralls every day, and one day the group of workers had to go out and go to a meeting quickly, and they wondered if he had time to change, and he said, I'll be okay, and right as they got ready to go, he just took his dirty coveralls off, and these guys never knew it, but under those coveralls was a beautiful suit that he wore every day on the job. Now, we cannot change where we're at in the world entirely. God leaves us in the world. He doesn't take us out of the world. He keeps us from the evil. 
But when you've got the Spirit of God, you've got an inner cleanliness that gives you the power to choose right. Choose holiness. If it's up on the computer, choose holiness. It's just a simple question. If it's on the TV, choose holiness. If it's where I'm going to go this afternoon or where we're going to go after work, choose holiness. Because this is what Peter says, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation, conduct, and godliness? And notice what he says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with fervent heat. The choice of holiness keeps a fire burning within our heart. When we, choose, when we lose holiness, a desire to walk with Jesus in purity and righteousness, guaranteed we will become apathetic. We will be, we, it will just happen, and it happens in so many different ways. Verse 13, the second takeaway. Looking for, I'm gonna read 11, 11 and 12 here. Okay, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? And here comes verse 13. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're looking for something better. You see, sometimes we're looking for it here. I don't know if you ever do this, but I get the Wall Street Journal, and every once in a while, I'll just have a list of, of the great, uh, the, the highest uh, rated homes that have sold in America in the last month, and for a moment, I'll glance at those. And then I'll realize God has given us a heavenly mansion and he's given us eternal promises. And what he's saying here is look to the eternal. That takes a step back a lot of times, just like this morning's message for me. Step back and look up. Because what happens, the flesh of man's eyes just keep dropping until finally we're looking down or we're looking around. And here Peter is saying, no, look at the eternal. The third takeaway we're going to find in verses 14 and 15. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, this is this eternal, this new heaven, this new earth. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and danger and, and blameless. Choose the path of peace. It's a slippery slope. There's a lot of tricks and there's a lot of snares out there. But, but Peter's heart here is, brothers as you, and sisters, as you are looking for the eternal, choose the path of peace. Because the path of peace is the path of God. It was Jesus who even taught that when he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the the children of God. And here he says, be diligent, should be found by him in peace. And there, there it is again, spotless and blameless. 
and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, written to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of those things in which are some things hard to be understood, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scripture, to their own destruction. And here he's speaking about all of the bombardment of confusion that flows even to the Christian. And he's saying, choose God. Go back real quick and look. Choose a life of holiness. Choose to look toward heaven. Look up. Choose the path of peace. And then the fourth we give you is be on guard for the attack of the enemy. You notice how Peter, he enters into this last area. He speaks about those that will twist and distort the scripture to their own destruction. In 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this before, be on your guard. Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the air of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Be on your guard. It's no different than those you men who have served in various areas of the military and you have walked in some really dangerous places. But you learned that when you walked there, you walked with your eyes open, your training in full usage, your ears listening, because you recognized the danger that surrounded you within that area. And this is teaching the same thing. We are in the last of the last days. The word of God teaches this. The word of God says it's gonna get better before, get worse before it gets better. The word of God says Jesus Christ is coming again. But what he's saying is be on your guard for deception and attacks from the enemy. You know, there's one, you know something we just kind of believe. It, it's amazing how quickly we believe this. We think somewhere along the line we'll find a country club setting as a Christian. There's gotta be. That's not what the word teaches. The word of God teaches that in the last days, there will be perilous times. In the latter times, people will depart from the faith. In the latter times, there will be anarchy and rebellion. But it also teaches us this, that when you have the spirit of God, you have enough. And God is sufficient. And he will give you what you need to endure and to get through in the last days of your lives. You know, some of you here, you may look at this and go, wow. You know, this is kind of an amazing thing uh, because it is really tough. And I cannot tell you it is easy. I, you know, I was just, I was thinking of an old song we used to sing when I was a kid. And it just simply says, no slacker grows the fight. No feebler is the foe. Nor less the need of armor tried of shield and spear and bow. And we recognize that. But I remember reading years ago about a gentleman walking one of the streets of Europe and down on, the, on, a, on a cobblestone street was a mason that was down there on his knees and he was working on a brick and a stone and he was just working and working and working the stone. And the gentleman stopped and he asked the mason, why are you working on this stone down here on the street? And he says, I'm working on it down here so it'll fit up there. And he pointed up to the steeple. 
And sometimes in every life here, we don't recognize how God is working down here. So we'll fit up there. He's not finished with any of us yet. We know that. We, we recognize that. We see that. And I think Peter, as he comes to the end of this writing, we reach this point where someone we can say, well, what do we take from here? And I guess I want to give you this last verse because in many ways it might be the most hands-on verse that we've looked at at 2 Peter. And you say, well, how do we deal with this? I mean, oh, wow, my list. I mean, it's amazing what's going on in our family or in our community or in our church or, or in Americas. We're worrying in so many ways. And then Peter stops in this 18th verse and he gives us something I want to give you as we leave today but grow in grace. You know, there's a lot we can't change. We, we live in America. We live in Surprise, Arizona. We worship here in Surprise, Arizona. There's a lot we can't change. But there is one thing we can purpose to do, and this is what Peter is saying. We can purpose to grow in grace. You know, it's like, God, I can't sort of this, all this out but I just want to be your child and grow in the year of 2020 in grace. And notice what that means. Peter goes on to define the meaning of this. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, we don't know if the Lord will come in 2020. We don't know. We know this. He's going to come for someone here in the year of 2020. Guaranteed. There will be someone here that has met the Lord face to face in the year of 2020. But there's one thing we know is we have the privilege to grow in grace. And I don't know how to encourage us here beyond just recognizing this is a decision that we must make with God. We can't get all of our friends around and get every friend to agree with us on this decision. I was visiting with one of the younger brothers here yesterday, and I, was, I pointed back to a book that has blessed me so much in my Christian life, which teaches about the man of God, the woman of God, must learn to walk alone with Jesus. And this is how we grow in grace. But notice the source. Peter points to it. Grow in grace, but grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's speaking about learning to know him better. God, who are you? How are you speaking? What do you want? Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I, I don't want to forget one other part of this passage because it is so important. Peter's saying, yes, this is what we can do. God, I don't know exactly when you're coming. The word teaches you're coming. The word teaches we're to be ready. The word teaches we're in the last days. The word teaches there's mockers. The word teaches there's going to be conflict. I want to grow. But Peter ends this, and I think we can jump over this real fast. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Give God all glory. All glory. Every bit of the glory, give God. Give God the glory. You know, God is a jealous God. 
God shares his glory with no man, no religious system, no government, no corporation, no nation. He wants the glory. And this is what Peter said, as you are growing, and all of a sudden, you see God working in your life in 2020, and I love this, God's going to work in many people's lives. Some of you are going to get blown away with how God works. Most of the time, though, when God works in our lives, it, it turns out, starts to be a mess first, and then God begins to work, and we start growing and growing in the grace, and never forget to give God the glory the glory. Wherever this church grows, wherever our families grow, wherever our personal lives grow, give God all glory. It is so essential for the Christian's lives. And when this church is growing in grace, and we are growing in grace, the church begins to grow. And this is something else that is so important. As we look at this truth here, as Peter ends, he's speaking about this commitment we personally make in the year of 2020. Lord, I want to grow in grace, and I want you to have all glory. Whatever happens and however it happens, may you receive all the glory completely. Well, what does a year of 2020 look like? We don't know. You know, one of the things I think about, though, is when we look at 2020, and, and, I, and I go back to this dear sister that spoke to me last night, and she looked at me, you ever think about 2020, when you look at God in there, is like perfect vision, 2020 vision, that we can see him perfectly, and we can see his beauty and his glory, and we can recognize God for who he is? And if he hasn't came in 2020, but we see Jesus more perfectly, it's worth it all. It's worth it all. You see, because it isn't about really what church you're in or who's right and who's wrong. What it is about is seeing Jesus perfectly and growing more and more like Jesus. And as that happens, something begins to happen. There's a stirring that happens. It's almost unconscious within our heart. We just don't stir. It just starts happening. We're ready for Jesus to come. We're looking for him. We can't wait. And if it's in 2020, we're ready. But if God wants to tarry to 21 or 22, we just keep on growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he receives the glory and the praise. Many times God has taken away blessing from homes and churches and people because they failed to give him glory. I guess if I would share a prayer of my heart for this church would be, let's wherever there's a blessing this year, give him the glory. Give him complete all glory. There will be blessings. There will be hardships. There will be trials. But give God, the glory. And it won't be hard if we just keep growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he'll be working through us and in us. And that stirring we started with this morning will just be there to such an extent that he gets all praise and honor and glory. 
You know, one thing about 2020 that is so beautiful is 2020 in the natural is, is just that great eyesight. And probably some of you younger ones especially still have it. The, I think about Moses. His eyes were never abated. He could see so clearly. At 120 years, Moses could still see just like that God gave him that. But in the spirit, we can see perfectly. And that's what Peter was doing here. He was calling the church back in the spirit to see him perfectly, to follow him fully, and wait for him with an expectant waiting because we know that Jesus is coming again. And if you can't see him perfectly today, if there is a cloud there, and you can just sense it through the message, let this be the day that you say, Lord, I want to choose to be 2020. I want your perfection. I want your spirit. I want your glory. I confess to you that I am a sinner in need of a savior, and my life is a mess with sin without you, and I ask you to come into my heart because I believe that you can make me perfect. So that day when I, when I meet Jesus face to face, what a day that will be when I see you, Jesus, face to face. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for the challenge of the word of God that you give us that just takes us out of our lethargy and our apathy, and you bring us back to this point of, of desiring that within the hearts of your people there will be a passion for for you, Lord, more first for you, a desire to follow you, a desire to look for you, to you, to seek you, to follow you, to obey you, to walk with you wherever you ask us to go. Lord Jesus, have your way among us. May your spirit have free course in this body. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to who you desire to speak to today. And if that is that dear soul that has heard your voice, oh God, give them the strength even to come forward. We can pray with them. Our brothers and sisters can pray with them. And they can receive you in your perfection and in your glory so that they can long for your return. And together as a church, oh Lord, we just praise you together and then pray, Lord, come quickly. Come for your body. In Christ's name we pray, amen.